My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. I want to start by uh, reading something to you this morning, just kind of a little bit of an exercise. Um, It says, what if one day Jesus were to become you? What if for 24 hours Jesus wakes up in your bed, walks in your shoes, lives in your house, and assumes your schedule? Your boss becomes his boss. Some of us are like, I don't know about that. Your mother becomes his mother. Your pain becomes his pains. With one exception, nothing about your life changes. Your health doesn't change. Your circumstances don't change. Your schedule isn't altered. Your problems aren't solved. And only one change occurs. What if for one day and night, Jesus lives your life with his heart? Your heart gets the day off and your life is led by the heart of Christ. His priorities govern your actions. His passions drive your decisions. His love directs your behavior. This is uh, from Max Lucado in his book, uh, Just Like Jesus. And it's kind of a little bit of like, what would, what would Jesus do, right, in, in different situations? But I honestly go, what would it look like if Jesus comes in and he lives your life for 24 hours? You know, what happens when Jesus comes in and he has to go to the job and have the boss that you despise, Right? What if Jesus is the one coming home from the long day of work that's been stressful and irritating to um, when you walk in that door at home and you're like, man, I just, I just want to go watch Netflix and be done. And Jesus walks in the door to your family that's all over the place and the house is a little bit messed. It's like, that's Jesus. What does he do? What if Jesus is coming into your marriage, right? Like he's the one engaging your marriage that day and the night before, It didn't end on the best terms. And he's going to come in. And then Jesus is living your life when you get that phone call or that text message from the family member that you're at odds with or keeps taking advantage of you. And how's Jesus going to respond? How's Jesus going to enter those situations? And I think we all could argue that Jesus is probably going to be more productive at work. He's going to be more efficient. He's going to get a lot of performance items done in a better way. That's what we all think. But what I really want to stop and focus on is how Jesus is going to engage our relationships. Because that is the place where I believe, man, we all are wrestling in some way, shape, or form. And see, even more than that, I believe that our relationships are a true indicator of the kind of life we are experiencing. And so what if I was just really to ask you, 
kind of skimmed over, but what if I was to ask you, how are your relationships? How are they really? And what I mean by that is like, how's your marriage, right? For those that are married in the room, it's like, are you, are you living the best marriage? Is there deep intimacy? Is there like, you've, you're more in love than you've ever been? You're like, Taylor, stop talking about the fairy tales, right? But, but seriously, and I mean that, but like, is your marriage prospering? Is your marriage experiencing this just beautiful image of what God has promised us in scripture? What about your relationships with family, parents and siblings and kids and relatives? I always like to ask the question of myself, am I as close as I'd like to be in those relationships, right? Am I as close? Do, do I get, are you excited when you, from a day to share with like your family, those people with you, like how your day went, text message, phone calls, whatever that is. I'm not saying every day, but do you get excited about that? Are those relationships close? And I would say family is probably one of the most difficult places to have relationships because you spend so much time with family. You spend so much time with them. You grow up with them. They know your faults. They know your weaknesses. And they know your embarrassing moments. And they like to poke fun at you with those moments. And it's all fun until you're hurt about it. Right? And then families, they're supposed to love you unconditionally. Like that's, that's our expectation for family. And so the moment that it feels like their love is conditional, man, it hurts. You're supposed to be able to rely on family in any moment, any need. And then the moment they don't show up, that hurts. And then it's just like, how are, how are your friendships? I think maybe more of the question for some, maybe us in the room is, do you have friends? Do you really have friends? And I've been challenged on this one a lot lately. It's like, I can say a lot of people are my friends, but how many people can I really go, I'm going to say, deep with? Like, how many people can I just share every detail of my life? I can tell them what's going on. I can tell them the hurt. I can tell them the pain. I can, I can share with them maybe what I feel like I, I can't even put words to sometimes. Like, do you have those kind of friends? Do you really have those kind of friendships where you could share anything on the table? Anything. And I would argue that a lot of us don't. Actually, I, the statistics say that 61% of the United States feels lonely. 61% of the United States. 61%. That means you could be married. You could have family. You can have all kinds of things. But you could, you could, you could have friends and you could still be lonely. You could still feel lonely at the end of the day. And so back to the question I ask you, like, how are your relationships? And then how would Jesus engage them from where they're currently at? Not some ideal version of that, but where they're currently at right now. If Jesus was to come into your life and to live in your shoes, how would he engage them from where they are at today? What would he do? And you're going, why does this matter? Because I am going to make the argument with you today that God is a relational God. That he is very, very relational. That God did not need us. He didn't need us. He created us and made us because he wanted to be in relationship with us. That's what he wanted. He wanted to enjoy this deep intimacy with you and I. And the truth is, is when I, I, 
when our relationships here on earth lack, I believe that it can be indicative. I want to get my words out. Indicative. <laughs> Let me see if I can get here. Uh, I believe that can indicate the kind of relationships that we have with the Father. That's what I believe. And so when your relationships here on earth lack, I believe that really shows kind of where you can be at with God. And I'm not saying that's always the case, but I am telling you that I believe that there are some correlations there. And so as we look at the scripture today, I want to start off at the very beginning where we started in the series of the Gospel of John. I want to go to the very first passage because I believe it is the summary of everything that we are going through today. So let's read it together. It says, in the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. John 1, 1. This is where we started back in January when we were going through this gospel. And the word is Jesus, the son of God. And it says he already existed in the beginning. He was already there and he was with God. And what it's trying to tell us is that God the Father and God the Son were in this face-to-face intimate relationship. They were close. They were together. And then all of a sudden it says there was this, the word was God. And thanks to Shane last week who introduced the Holy Spirit to us, now we understand there's this, this, that God is Trinity, That means three persons, one God. We have God the Father, we have God the Son, and we have God the Spirit. It's like, this is a crazy mystery. They're all distinct persons, but one God. And the more we dig into this, which I don't have time to today, that's a whole other sermon, that's a whole other series and all this, but the most important thing I want you to understand is that all three of them are God. And that they work together and they build this, this, this is what they do. This is, they share a oneness, they cooperate, they work together, they have the same will, they testify to each other in scripture. That's who we see. And at one point we see Jesus sitting there, the son of God going, hey, Lord, father, I submit my will to you. There's this dying of self, this sharedness, this oneness, this beautiful idea of what relationship looks like of what God wants, and and then what we get today at the very last moments of Jesus, like this is, we're coming into his prayer, his last prayer, it's in depth, there's a lot there, and we see this, and Jesus is going, I am praying to the Father that you guys would experience the same kind of relationship that the Trinity has. That this Trinity, man, the Father and the Son, this oneness that they share, Jesus is praying that for us today. That is the whole main point. That we would be united. So let's, let's just kind of look at the main point, the passage here. It says, I am in them. That's what he's saying to God. He's praying, this high priestly prayer, saying, I am in them. I am in the believers. You are in me, Father. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. See, as we get into this prayer today, it's, it's split into three parts. This is Jesus, the Son of God, praying to Father, the Father God. And he's praying in his last moments before he's going to go to the cross. And he's going to die for the sins of the world. And he prays for himself. He prays for his disciples. And he prays for the believers, the, the church. That's who he's praying for. It's split into three parts. And so we come into this understanding that one of the main theme that Jesus is praying for, that John is is writing to us and saying, he's like, hey, I'm praying that the church would experience unity. 
that the believers would have unity among them, that they would share in the same oneness that we share together. That's what I want. And we, can, we are empowered to have this because of the Holy Spirit. That's why we can have this. That's why we can share in this oneness. So let's kind of dig into it right off the get-go. It's the first part of it is Jesus praying for himself. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. For you have given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. Now this is where we need to remember that the book of John is split into two sections. The first half, the book of signs, which is revealing Jesus as the son of God. And then there's the second half of the book, which is called the book of glory. And it is all based around Jesus going to the cross, dying for the sins of the world. And that, that would be the moment that Jesus is glorified. And so we see this. It says, Father, the hour has come. And what he's saying in that is is this hour of glorification has come. That Jesus will be glorified. Now what we all wrestle with in this is that Jesus is going to be glorified. But he's also going to be humiliated at the same time. Because he's going to go to a cross. He's going to die for the sins of the world. And in our minds it's like, wait, how can you be glorified and humiliated at the same time? That's the, that's the tension that we live in. That's the, that's the gospel for us. That it's, it's, it's a little bit different. And so what I want to do is I want us to remember that we need to go back to the very beginning and understand how sin entered this world. Sin has come into this world, which means every one of us has a desire, um, nine times out of ten, I'll say, or ten out of ten, that when given the moment, given the situation, we're going to choose sin. We're going to choose it. And that's the evil, that's the, that's the thing that has created this wedge between us and God the Father. And remember, we were created for a relationship with God the Father. We were made to be in relationship with him. But yet we have a holy God who cannot be around the presence of sin. Yet we are humans full of sin. And so if we look through the Old Testament, we catch the story of where, where people would bring their animal sacrifices to the altar and they would sacrifice it and that blood would cover their sin and make them right with God the Father again. The problem is, is as soon as you sacrifice something, man, you, you're off sinning again the next moment because it's human nature. It's human nature. And so God, that was the first way. And then so all of a sudden God goes, let me send my son. And my son, he will go to the cross and he will die for the sins of the world. It's the eternal sacrifice. That's who Jesus is. He will be the eternal sacrifice for all of our past sins, our current sins, our future sins. Right? So Jesus will be that for us. And so Jesus is glorified in that moment because what God the Father is saying is he's going, hey, Jesus' death is sufficient. It can cover all sin. And so by God the Father declaring that, he is glorifying his son. Now in turn, we have Jesus who is sitting there going, I'm here to do the will of the Father. And we see him abiding and walking with the Father. And he does what the Father does. And by doing that, he is glorifying the Father. It's this beautiful relationship. Now, I don't got time to keep unpacking it, but this is what he's saying. He's saying, hey, glorify your son. Glorify him by that death. And he can give glory back to you. For you have given him the authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. Now, let's talk about eternal life. 
Because eternal life is something we all, we, in its most basic practical term, I think a lot of us understand eternal life is living forever. Like that's, that's where we go with it. But it's way more than this. Look at Jesus is going to break this down for us in this next verse. He says, and this is the way to have eternal life. He's still talking to the Father. He says, to know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. Think of this, eternal life. If you want to have eternal life, you have to know God. That's, that's it in its most basic form. Now, when we look at that, we need, to be, we need to break it down a little bit because in the original language, it wouldn't be just an intellectual knowledge of God. It wouldn't be like, oh, yeah, yeah, there's a spiritual being out there somewhere. God is real. I believe that. It's, it's more than that. It's not just this, yeah, I know something. It's this experience It's experiencing the love. It's experiencing relationship. It's experiencing God and who he is through Jesus. And so it's not just a relationship where it's like, yeah, I I know you. It's like, no, 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 we're in a relationship. I experience you. I experience your pain. I experience your heartaches. I experience your joy. I know what the Father is excited about and what makes him happy and what he rejoices about and what he gets sad. I understand that because I'm in a relationship with him. I can't just know my wife. That's not enough. That won't make the marriage work. Her name's Annie. Good enough, right? No, 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 no. I have to be in a relationship with her. I have to know when she's sad, when I walk through the door. Like when I say something, she's like, what's that look for? Like, did I give a look? Yeah, you gave a look, (laughs) right? Like she knows that without me even saying anything. And I believe that is the relationship that we are invited into to know God and that that is eternal life, that that is the moment when we surrender and we believe and we say, okay, I believe the death on the cross is real by Jesus. I believe it was enough. I trust it. I want to experience God in my life. You have eternal life, not just because of the fact you declare that, but because the quality of life now you're going to experience because you are engaging with God every day. So eternal life is not just something at the end of your life. It is something that you experience now and today at the moment that you come to belief in Jesus Christ. So that's what he's asking. That's what he's saying. I think that's such a powerful truth. And goes back to the idea of understanding that God is a relational God. Now if we transition, we realize that Jesus is now going to pray for his disciples at this current time and moment. And he's saying to his disciples, they do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And I can give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. We see this word holy, 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 come on. And basically what we see, though, more than anything, is that Jesus is praying for their sanctification. And now many of us go, sanctify what? Right? It's a big church word. It's a really big church word. And we don't use it because... Well, you only understand it sometimes if you've been in Scripture long enough. But to define it for you, to understand it for you, is actually to look at this verse. Because sanctification is really this process of God setting us apart from others and declaring us holy for a purpose. 
That's, that's what it is. That, that's that, and that begins at that moment when you say, Jesus, I believe and I trust you with my life. And when you declare that and when you say that, the process of sanctification then begins. You are all automatically declared holy. And then you will see that process continue to happen in your life as you are set apart. And to show you how that works, that means you're going to the scriptures and you're reading stuff in there and you're going, oh, I can't do that. Wait, I'm supposed to forgive? I want to forgive. I'm supposed to love in this situation? I'm supposed to lay down my life in these moments? We start seeing that happen. But what we realize is that we start being compelled to do it. And that's as our, as our actions change, as, as we change, and the people around us go, man, there's something different about you. That's the process of sanctification playing out in your life. And so as we see that happen, we see Jesus is, is saying this for his disciples, saying, make them holy by your truth, your word. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world. Now, where we sometimes can struggle with sanctification and what it means is sometimes we meet, think it means separation. Now, here's what I want to be very clear about. It doesn't mean that. And what a lot of people in church do go, oh, man, church is a safe place. It's a great place to raise a family, to not be exposed to the outside world and all these things. And I go, very true, very, very, very true. But what can happen sometimes is we go, I just want to get in my holy huddle over here with people who think, talk like me. And that's what I want to do. And Jesus goes, wait, wait, wait. I am sending them into the world. Wait, you mean the world that isn't sanctified? You mean the world that is, man, owned and ruled by Satan? He's the, he's the ruler of this, king, of this world? That he wants us to be enamored with the ladder of, of cultural success and to climb that and to, to hold on to the things of this world as if this is it? Like, that's the ruler, and that's where he convinces all of us to put our interest and to invest ourselves into. And Jesus goes, no, 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 no. Sanctification is not separation. It means I'm setting you apart. I'm making you holy for a purpose, and that purpose is to go into the world, which means that we are supposed to go to people who are different than us, people of different nationalities, people of different skin colors, people of different personalities, people that we would never hang out with, who have different interests and hobbies and all kinds of things that we would never, the least, the last, the lost, those that are overlooked. That is who we're called to go to. That is the purpose at which we're set. We are made holy so that we can take the good news to others. We are not made holy so we can back out and hide away from the world and not engage it which I know is very tempting sometimes. And I know that's what many of us would like to do and protect our kids and, and all these things. And I agree with you. I got my own kid now. I'm like, man, I, I don't know if I can do I'm thinking about all that, right? But it's like, how do I sit there and let God do the guiding? Let God move in my kid's life, move and help them move into places and spaces that the good news needs to go out, Right? And even in my own life. And so sanctification is a purpose. Yes, we are made holy. We are set apart. We are made for special use. But that is to go into the world. This is what, this is what it says in scripture. It says, you are the salt of the earth. That's what Jesus says to his disciples. Which means we go out to the world with this good news and enhance the world with flavor. That's what salt does, right? You put it on something because you want flavor. You are to enhance it. 
You are to make it better. That is what we are called to do as Christians as we are made holy. And so we need to remember, though, that Jesus is praying this because we can't do it on our own. Like, this is very difficult. This is a tough tension to live in. This middle ground of, well, I'm not a part of this world, but I'm, but I'm in this world right now. Like, I'm, I am not a part of it. I am not a part of the belief system. I'm not any of it, but I'm called to live here right now and to spread the good news. That is a tough tension to walk out. That is why Jesus is praying. He's like, man, help them. Go into the world. Make them holy. And then lastly, I believe the one that we can all wrestle with is he's praying for us, the church. He's praying for those that would come to believe. I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. He's praying for those of us that have come to believe because of the disciples that, went, that were faithful and went out to the world and shared the good news. And now we are here today. And so therefore, Jesus is praying for the believers. He's praying for the church. And what's he praying for? He's praying for unity. He's praying that we would have unity. And not only that, that unity is actually the greatest message, the greatest evangelistic message we can have. That we as the church would be one. That we would have that same oneness that the Trinity has. That we would submit and we would, we would look to each other and glorify each other. That we would look to each other and testify to each other. That we would share that oneness because the Spirit lives inside of us. That's what he's calling us to. And that is honestly kind of a strange concept right now. Because if we're all honest, the world is far from unified right now. And that's expected. That's expected. But the church right now is also struggling with having unity. It's struggling big time. You talk to pastors all across the nation. It's a tough, tough time. It's a tough time. And the reason that it's so difficult is that many of us in this room are actually divided in the sense of our beliefs. People watching online, divided. We're all different places in what we believe. And I want to be careful how I say this next part, but I believe to not go here and to talk about this, well, that would just be watering down the gospel message. Because the truth is, is that many of us, like, we want to come in and hear what we want to hear, and then when we stop hearing what we want to hear, we'll go somewhere that will tell us what we want to hear. And so sometimes we stop reading the Bible because we want to go to something that tells us what we want to hear. A few topics where we're really divided right now. I don't have to go far for this. COVID. We're all divided over it. We're disagreeing on how leaders are handling it. Some of us are disagreeing about how the church is handling it. And can I tell you something? Your concerns are totally valid. Both sides. Both sides. I'm not here to divide. I'm not here to do that. Your concerns are totally valid. Where you stand and what you believe, I'm, I'm not denying those. I'm not. But it's dividing the church. Let's just talk about mass for a moment. 
Man, it's a tough one. Do they work? Do they not work? Are they effective? Are they not effective? Right? That's, there's people on all sides. And for good reason, there's people on all sides. Can I say it's valid? Can I say your concerns are valid no matter which side you're on? I, I believe they're valid. We don't have enough information. And even if we can agree on one part or the other, it's like, well, what kind of mask can you wear? And where do you have to wear a mask? Right? And so we wrestle and we, and we're, and we get divided over it and we, and we get frustrated about it. And it can be so hard sometimes to go, why are we even arguing again? Another big one is Racism. Now, I think all of us can agree on the fact that racism is, is out there and it's happening and it's in microaggressions and all these things. And then there's systemic racism, which has really been pressed on this last year. And that is tough and that is difficult. And there's a lot of sides picking and choosing and it is dividing the church. And even if we can agree on the fact that it's there or where it's present, we can't agree on how to move forward. And I, don't, I, I, I hate to even use this word because this is not the word, but to take steps and to solve it. That's not even a good word for it. But, it's, but we can't agree on what steps to take to move forward and to be a part of the solution. I mean, that's even it. And then that brings up police reform. There's, there's people all over the map on it. There's people on one side going, this is what needs to happen, this is it. There's people on this side, and it's like, I, I get your concerns, I understand your concerns, I, I get all of it. I understand where you're coming from, whether, there's, whether it matters on how much knowledge we have on the issue or subject at hand. And then all of those, like, they could just be sprinkled over with the term politics. Right? And then that just brings up more and more things. And we could go down this list and we could do this. You, you get the point. You get the point. You get the point why Jesus is praying. Jesus is going, hey, I'm about to lay my life down for this thing. Father, I want you to glorify my name. I want them to be sanctified. But I really want them to be one because that'll be the greatest message to the world that'll be the greatest message to the world is when they're one and they're unified division will kill us it will Jesus says this in scripture he says a kingdom divided by civil war will will collapse Similarly, a family splintering by feuding will fall apart. Like, it's, it is bound to happen, and we are experiencing what I would say is a very divisive time in history. But here's what I want to make sure you, that I'm not saying. I'm not saying we can't disagree. I'm not saying we can't. We can totally disagree. You can totally disagree. And I believe that's important for you to understand. 
Disagreement doesn't cause division. Pride causes division. And when pride enters into disagreement, it belittles the other person, it makes them the enemy, and it builds a wall in the relationship. Pride's rooted in competitiveness and trying to justify ourselves. Can I tell you something? You're already justified. It's by Christ's blood. So do you know what the cure for pride is? Humility. Humility. That's the cure. And so I don't want to bring all this stuff up and talk about it if if we're not going to talk about maybe how Jesus or the Apostle Paul tries to address it with us. This is what he says. He says this in Philippians, that Paul is speaking to the church. He's speaking to the church. And he's saying, I'm encouraging you to develop this oneness and humility. And this is how he says to do it. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as something to be grasped. I'm going to keep reading the rest of it. I'll come back. But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Can you go back to that first slide for a moment? Thank you. Count others more significant than yourselves. That's what he calls us to do. We get, in, we get in a moment, we're in a relationship, all our relationships. How do we approach them? Honestly, I, I, this can sound like pie in the sky talk. But he's saying, how can you approach people and go, you're more significant than me? You are greater than me. Now, we can do that on the surface, but to get to the heart of it, that is difficult when we're trying to justify ourselves. So next time you want to justify your beliefs or actions or thoughts to someone, how do you go to them and go, you're more significant? You're more significant. How do I be more concerned about the interest of others? How do I be way more concerned about them than myself? How do I let go of being right? I love to be right. I love it. I'm a great loser. I'm a terrible winner. But being right is a form of pride. And pride divides. Jesus thought we were so significant. He was so concerned about our interests, what was best for us. He knew it was to be with the Father. And so he goes, let me die on the cross so that I can take care of sin. So that way we the people, believers who come, can be in a relationship with the Father. 
That's what Jesus is so enamored by. That's what Jesus is looking at. It's like, have the attitude of Christ is what the Apostle Paul is saying here. This is what it means. That's tough. And Jesus does that for us, and we go, yes, praise God. And then he calls us to do it for others, and we go, run for the hills. That's, it's hard, especially when it's someone you disagree with. Let's go to the second part of the slide. Oh, actually go back. Sorry, I want to, I want to put one more. Thank you, sorry. I love this. Jesus, though he was in the form of God, though he was God, he did not count equality with God as something to be grasped. He was God. He didn't count that as something. He, he didn't hold on to that. He didn't say, hey, I'm, I'm holding on to my divine powers. No, if you go to the next slide, it finishes the statement. It says, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Jesus doesn't have to become human and come and die on the cross. He doesn't have to do any of that. He chooses to. He chooses to do that for us. He chooses to become a servant and be born in the likeness of men. He is God and he chooses to become man. It's a mystery we're still figuring out. Fully God, fully man. And then it says, God, God highly exalted him, glorified him, bestowed on him the name that is above every name. That's that relationship. That's how it works, right? And that's what God is calling us to. And so I go, man, how can, how can we look in the mirror? Like, honestly, look in the mirror. And I'm not saying you're wrong. Don't hear me this morning. That's not what I'm saying. But how do we look in the mirror and we set aside our privileges? How do we set them aside? That's what Jesus did. He was God. He set that aside. Became man. Maybe for some of us, that's just advocating for equality. Just standing up in some moments where we feel like God's prompting us and it's like, yeah, I, I have privilege in this moment. Whatever kind of privilege or form that is. But I also have a voice. What does that mean? Maybe that's just forgiving someone who you have every right not to forgive. Make sure you hear me say that. You have every right not to forgive them. Every right. But you choose to. You choose to. And this could be just as simple as choosing love when it feels like everything's being taken away. And let me say this real quick, because there's someone out there. If you are in an unhealthy situation, I am not saying to stay and put up with that. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying to you is that if you are in an unhealthy place and you need help wherever you are at, we are here and we will help you and we will help you take the next step that's an abusive relationship, whatever you are in, I am not calling you. I'm not saying to you, that's not what this passage is about. If you are struggling and you're wrestling out, we want to be here for you. I want to invite the worship team up. You guys can come on up. I'm going to just close with this final thought.
you know, this isn't something you can do on your own. And I'm not, like I said, my heart is not to tell you that I've got this all figured out, that I got any of this figured out. Actually, when I looked at this message, I go, man, do I really have to preach it? Um, Because it's a tough one. Because it is, man, it's really, we're really divided right now. But can I also tell you something? If you go look at scripture and you look at the churches that Paul was, that he was ministering to and everything that was going on, he was like, the same thing was happening. They were divided over other issues, over other things. Some of them being the same things that I just brought up. They're divided. That's what happens. And so some people go, oh man, this is the terrible time for the church. And I'd be like, no, 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 this is the best time for the church. Because while the world is divided, while the world keeps getting more and more separated, the church gets to play this vital role. Us believers get to come together and learn what it means to show humility to one another. And that will be our greatest testimony to the world when it is so divided. Man, what a powerful, powerful place we get to be. Everyone's like, oh man, this is, no, it's a great moment for the church. It's a great moment. But it starts with us and it starts with small moments. And I look at this text and I like, I walk away convicted. And if you're feeling the same, I said, "Don't, don't feel the shame, but let the conviction come. Let it work its way in there. And you might be wrestling with it and going, I, yeah. Let it come in and do its work. Let the sanctification happen in your life. Let God make you holy. It hurts. But I believe it's a great moment for the church right now. It's a great moment for the body. It's a great moment for all of us. And you know what? Nothing's going to overcome the church. I know that because Jesus promised it. And so I already know how the story ends. And I believe that you get to be a part of the way that the world sees the church. I believe you get to be a part of the way the world comes to know Christ through the way that you show humility in your marriage, in your relationships in your family I believe that so church I know it's a challenge but I believe that Jesus is sitting there 2,000 years ago praying for this moment in the church knowing that they've been there up until this point and that we'd be here today so I would encourage you whatever step that is you need to take please take it you can change the world you really can I love you guys. I just want to pray for you and invite you into this moment of communion. The tables are going to be open during this first song of worship. And uh, I just, this is a powerful moment where you get to just come in and take the body and take the bread. And Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, which means we remember his death, his sacrificial death, that it was enough on the cross. But one of the other things is, is when we come to the table, we're actually supposed to check our hearts. We're supposed to look with inside our own selves and reflect and to go, God, if there's pride in me, 
If there's anything in me, please, Lord, I need your help. I ask for your forgiveness in this area. We address our own walk because that's where it starts. And so as you approach the table and take communion and take a bread and take the juice, what we're saying is, is as believers is, Lord, I, I, we remember this moment. And we remember what it costs, we remember what it is, and we remember what you've called and prayed for us to do. So let me pray for you, Lord. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for everything you are doing in our lives, Lord. I pray, Lord, that we would be a church of unity, that we'd be a church that follows you and runs to you, and that, Lord, the greatest days would be ahead of us as a church, even though there will be difficult moments along the way, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that whatever's going on in our hearts right now, whatever it is, you would just meet us there. In Jesus' name, amen.